Uh, so hey, let's, uh, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and get it out. We're going to Mark chapter 14, and uh, <laughs> Mark chapter 14, uh, we've got, uh, man, we've got this passage, man, that is it's so moving and so challenging at the same time. Uh, and if, uh, if you don't have a Bible, let our ushers get you a Bible. Just throw your hand up and uh, let them know that you need one, uh, and they will get you one. If you don't own one, uh, you can uh, keep that one. We'd love for you to have it. I'm serious about that. Please keep it. If you don't have one, keep it as a gift. Uh, if you just need to borrow it, that's fine too. Uh, and if uh, that's the case, you can maybe help the ushers by returning it to the back on your way out. But, uh, but yeah, Matthew chapter uh, Matthew Mark chapter 14. Um, you'd think after a year of studying in Mark, I would know it was Mark. Uh, Mark chapter 14, and uh, we've been walking through this uh, together. And, and you know, in last week's. Uh, message leading up to this week's message as they keep building and building on one another. We're, we're in these last moments with Jesus uh, as he uh, literally this week is being betrayed uh, and he's been trying to explain some things to the disciples about what's about to happen and, and that they're going to deny him and you know all of these things and, and, and much of it uh, things that they don't want to believe. Uh, you know, they don't, they don't really want to buy into the thought that, you know, all that's really true or, you know, whatever. They just want to, they just want to kind of skate through and assume that, I, I, I'm guessing they kind of want to assume that, you know, Jesus is just being dramatic or something. I don't know why they would think that when Jesus has just been Jesus the entire time and everything that he says comes true. Uh, but they're still learning that, still figuring that out. And that kind of sounds like us. Let's just face it. Uh, it's easy to point our fingers and go, hey, look at the dumb disciples. Here they are not believing again, and that's exactly what we do every time we sin. Uh, and so uh, we, 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 should, we should say, we get it. We get it. You know, we, are, we ourselves get in the way of, of oftentimes what God has for us and what he wants to uh, do in us and through us and for us and all those things because we think we've got some big better plan or something. Uh, but uh, this passage today uh, is a passage that... Uh, we see Jesus in the, in the midst of a moment here, and, and, and it's one of those passages that is so easy to just say, well, if I was there at that moment, I would have reacted like this, or I would have reacted like that. Uh, and the truth is, I don't think any of us would have reacted like Jesus, because none of us are deity, none of us are God. Uh, we're all a bunch of sinners, and the truth is, is that I think most of us would have rebelled in the moment. And the reason that Jesus didn't rebel in the moment is because this was part of the plan. And I think we, we, have to, we have to go back to that. We have to keep that in mind. Even like last week when Jesus was telling all the disciples, hey, all you guys, you're all going to deny me. You're all going to take off. You're all going to run away. And, and they're all like, oh, no, not us, Jesus. We're not, we're, you know, we'll never do that. You know, Peter, first one, you know, you know, we're, we're, you know we're with you to the end. And, and the truth is, is that, you know, it's easy to say that kind of stuff. And then when the moment happens, things are different. And so here we have Jesus and his disciples. Let's just go ahead and start reading. Mark chapter 14, verse 42. And it says, this says, And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. Just kind of stop there for just a second. 
So we've got this moment. Jesus is uh, continuing to speak with the disciples. Uh, they're away. They're out of town. Uh, the setting is it's night. It's dark. They're not near. You know, they're not, again, not in town. So even light that might be caused by things going on around in town, not where they are. They're out in the garden. And, and so, you know, here they are in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus has just been praying and just been trying to help the disciples understand some things about what's about to happen. And then here comes toward them a large group of people led by one of the disciples himself, Judas. Judas being the one who would betray Jesus. And again, it was written that this would happen you know, you know we, we, can, we can dislike Judas all the day long. We can judge Judas on our own all the day long. We can say, oh, well, you, know, uh, you know, I'd never do what Judas did, all those types of things. I mean, obviously, nobody wants to put themselves into the feet of Judas and say, oh, yeah, I would be like Judas. Uh, you know, but at the end of the day, the truth is, is that this is all fulfilling something that was going to happen. The disciples turning on Jesus is fulfilling something that was going to happen. It says, now the betrayer had, been, had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man, seize him and lead him away under guard. And so we see Judas leading this group of people with swords uh, and you know, uh, torches and you know, I mean, because they're coming in the night and all this kind of thing. And the truth is, is that although they come with swords and clubs, they need, they need Judas. They need Judas to identify in the dark who it is that they're coming to get. Because, again, you know, why, why all this in the dark? Why all this? Well, this is, this is partly to try to keep there from being some kind of a, a mob come against them in the moment because Jesus was very loved. It's, it's amazing to me, and it will be amazing to see as we study over the next few weeks, as we see the people there begin to turn on Jesus, I mean just like so fast. Like so fast. To the point that they're the, the same people that you know were you know worshiping him and all that just days before, at the end of the week, they're saying to kill him. Verse 44. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, The one I will kiss is the man, seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came. He went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. So Judas comes up to Jesus, and he says, Rabbi, and he kisses him. He actually says, Rabbi, Rabbi. Uh, I'm, I'm not real sure why. Uh, it seems like almost all, and I've spent some time looking at this, and, and I, no, no, nobody I was reading was really talking about it, uh, but for some reason, most of the modern translations do not say rabbi, rabbi, which is what he says. And the reason I know it is because I went back and I looked at the Greek. And let me tell you what, I'm a little rusty on that. Uh, but I know just enough to be dangerous like about everything I do in life. Uh, and, uh, and, and so I was able to, to go back and, and, and look at that. And, and there's, I think there's some importance to that. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But when Judas comes to Jesus and he, and he calls him by name, he calls him rabbi and he gives him his kiss, uh, the Greek there in the word that's talking about the kiss is not just like some peck 
it's like this affectionate, I'm not talking about anything weird here, but I'm talking about like, he's like this, he's, he's acting like to Jesus in this moment that he is his closest brother, you know? And he's giving him like an affectionate kiss that is noted in the language uh, as to what's going on here, and then referring to him as rabbi, rabbi. Two double-named type deal, you know? I'm from uh, Kentucky, and in Kentucky, at least a lot of my family, uh, you know, my family is full of like the double-name thing. I don't know if your family has a lot of double-name, you know, type folks, whatever, like my, my mom goes by Linda Carroll, you know, very few people know her as Linda. It's Linda Carroll. You know, I, I've, got, I've got all these, I've got this, especially my dad's side of the family. Everybody on my dad's side of the family is two names. Like, and, and I go visit, and they're like, what's up, David Christopher? And I'm like, what's up? <laughs> Haven't heard that since I was 12. Thanks. You know, but it's, I mean, it's, you know, it's, you know, it's Carol Ann and uh, David Lee, and I mean, it's, and it's, and, you know, every, everybody's got, you know, the, everybody, you know, they go by the first two names, or whatever. And, uh, you know, and, and it's, and it's a funny, it's a funny thing. It's a funny thing. And, and, and you'd think, you know, even here, like, you know, whatever, you know, rabbi, rabbi, whatever, you know, who cares? Um, I think there's some importance to that. And, and it kind of bothers me it's not in the modern translations because I think there's some importance to that that I think is being left out. And I don't think it was intentional that it was left out. Well, I mean, I think it was intentional it was left out, but I think that they didn't realize maybe some of the importance to it. Uh, and I'm not saying that I've got it all figured out, but, you know, if you look over, uh, if you look over Scripture, you see, you see this double name thing like 15 times-ish in Scripture. And, you, and if you go back and you look at the moments that you see the double name thing, it's always like in these like great grand moments. You know, I mean, and you know, and 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 some of them maybe we don't even think are grand, great grand moments, but I think you know the ones that are like maybe what we feel like are lesser moments are ones where actually Jesus is using it, and he's using it with somebody to like uh, diffuse a situation and to help somebody to understand something. And it and what it is at the end of the day is it shows great affection. It shows great affection. I mean, for for example, uh, you have out of the burning bush, Moses, Moses. God speaking to Moses. Uh, you have uh, God speaking to Abraham when he has Isaac on the altar. Abraham, Abraham, don't do it. I see your faith. I see that you trust me. It's all good. Save your son. You know, call off the fire. You know, all these situations. Uh, I mean, you know, and then you know another one that we know of that we know of. Uh, Christ says. Uh, at, at his death, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, there's, I think there's some validity to this. And I think, I think, that, it's, I think that it's pointing to, and, and whether Judas realized in the moment that he was doing this and that God was going to use this and use him and use his words for us or not, I, I don't really know, obviously. But I think that he does. And I think God does use this moment. And I think He does use Judas's words. And I think part of this is that we can see a better picture of like what's really going on, like the true hypocrisy of this moment, that Judas would come to Jesus 
and he would say, Rabbi, Rabbi, and give him this affectionate kiss, you know, like, like they're the best of friends and the best of brothers and all this kind of thing. And at the end of the day, here's, here's Jesus, and of course, you know, Jesus is just rolling with it, you know? And it reminds me, reminds me of another passage. This other passage is from Matthew 7, verse 21. And this is Jesus teaching Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says this in Matthew 7, 21. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does my, the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare them, I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And I, and I look at what's happening here in this situation with Judas where he's rabbi, rabbi, and, and, and I'm going back to exactly what Jesus said there at the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm seeing this parallel of you know, what Jesus talked about there is actually happening here. Judas, Judas never truly knew Jesus. If he had, he, he certainly wouldn't have been his betrayer, right? I mean, like, if you truly know Jesus, I mean, your life is changed. Now, I'm not talking about, like, if you spent a whole lot of time in church in your life. There came a point in my life, you know, as a preacher's kid, you know, I mean, I, I grew up, spent all this time in church, like, you know, I mean, like, everybody else is, like, with babysitters and stuff, and I'm just, like, hanging out at the church. My summers, hanging out at the church. Let me tell you what, not a whole lot to do in a church building in the summertime as, like, a 10-year-old except learn how to pick the locks. I've been called on that and proven myself that that is true in recent days on some of those same locks. You know, there was a point in my life where I thought, I'm a Christian. I'm okay. I'm good to go. Right? I'm cool. I'm cool. I mean, I'm growing up around this. all I know. I know a whole lot about Jesus. The problem was, is I knew a lot about Jesus, but the truth is, is I didn't know Jesus. Folks, there's a big difference. There's a huge difference. There's a huge difference. And let me tell you, for, for those that just know a lot about Jesus, I, I just, I can't encourage you to know enough. Like, if, if you think that you're in that boat, if you think you might be in that boat, I'm not trying to cast doubt on your salvation. If you know that you know the Lord, then awesome. But if you don't know if you know the Lord, run to Him. Like, He, he has given His life on the cross for you. Like, He loves you. He cares for you. He, he, he doesn't even care about the stuff that is in your life that you would think is the stuff that's keeping you from Him. He's like, you come to me, I'll help you clean up the mess. There's, nev there's never like... There's never, in fact, there's nothing in Scripture that teaches us that it should be like, oh, we're going to like fix ourselves up and then go to Jesus. Absolutely not. We, we are failures at fixing ourselves up. Have you seen what we do to ourselves? We need Jesus. We need a Savior. 
We need Him to come into our life. And we need Him to do the work that we cannot do. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This, this, this passage screams to us today that there are people that are hanging their hats on the things they have done for Jesus, but that don't know Him. But that don't know Him. And we gotta, we got to be careful with that. we got to be careful with that. And, I, and, and man, I, I just say even to anybody, anybody that is here as a part of this church, if God has given you any appointment of like authority over others as a part of our church, I just, I just encourage you to watch and help, help keep watch over all those folks, not in some judgmental way, but in just like a caring way of like, are the people that God is entrusting under me, are they people that are running toward Jesus right now, or are they getting caught up in the, in the aspects of doing things? Obviously, we're called to serve. We're called to serve. Like We, we totally get that. We totally get that we're called to serve, but l- listen, we can't hang our hat on those things. I mean, this is, this is Jesus. He's saying, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Did we not serve every Sunday? Did we not show up for both services? Did we not, you know, for many, 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 many years? What happens is we fall into a hypocrisy that... We, we, we never even intended. We, did, we didn't know. We didn't know we were going there. That wasn't the intent. Jesus says that He will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Let me tell you what. If we leave, if we, it, I, I, this is where we just always have to be careful as a church and, and, and obviously as, you know, as people serve and stuff, we obviously we want there to be opportunities to serve, but we always want, we always want to be careful that the people that are a part of serving in ministry, you know, that for all of us in general, that we all are like pushing each other toward Jesus and not to tasks, right? That the things that we do, even when we serve, are not for the sake of the task, but they are for the sake of the glory of God. And that people in themselves are not hanging their hats on those things, but hanging their hats on their relationship with Christ. Moses, Moses. Abraham, Abraham. Here's another one. Saul, Saul. You know where Saul, Saul comes in? Road, the road to Damascus. When God moves in who would become Paul's life, changes him. Talk about upside down. Verse 45, back to Mark 14. Verse 45, And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck 
the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. So somebody there in the fold that's there in the moment jumps to the occasion, part of the security team probably, and he's got and he's and he's ready. He's ready. With, you know, of course, I want to like imagine like samurai sword. I know it's not a samurai sword, but like I don't know. It'd just be kind of cool if it was. And uh, but anyway, he pulls a sword and he cuts the servant of the high priest's ear off. Well, because Mark is Mark and Mark is straight and to the point, Mark leaves out a lot of details. I think sometimes sometimes he leaves out some of those details because you got to imagine that Mark was around during these things, and, and uh, to kind of remind us, we, we, we kind of, we're not 100% sure, but we kind of have reason to believe that there's a good chance that this gospel was really the gospel according to Peter, but it was written by Mark. And so, because of the book of John, we actually know that the person who cut off this dude's ear was Peter. So imagine that, you know, I mean, like, here's Peter, and of course, he, you know, we, we know Peter to be kind of like this guy who's like ready to jump at the moment, he's like super, you know, super passionate, you know, he's like, you're not going to take my Jesus, whap, you know, cut that ear off, see what's next for you guys, you know, and it's funny, but it shows, it shows something about the situation, first of all, and Jesus will speak to this here in just a second. First of all, it shows that, that, <laughs> that they're completely misread on like how they have to come get Jesus. In fact, let's, let's just go ahead and read the rest of this real quick because I, I, I want to I tie this in. He says, But one of those who stood near him uh, drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest, cut off his ear. And Jesus said to him, Have you come out as against a robber? Like, he's like, are you, you, you're, you're coming at me like I'm a robber? You know? You're coming at me like I'm a thief? And he goes on and says, with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the Scriptures be fulfilled. Let the Scriptures be fulfilled. And so, so here we have in this, this, this understanding here, Jesus is calling them on something. And, and there's some importance to this. It's not just, oh, this is a funny situation and Peter lops this dude's ear off, you know, and it's like a Mike Tyson fight or something, uh, you know. But then, you know, on top of this, you have this moment where, uh, you know, Jesus also heals. We don't, we don't see that in this gospel. You can see that also in uh, the gospel of Luke, uh, where Jesus heals uh, this man's ear. So, like, here's, here's the moment. Let me kind of set up the moment. They've come to get Jesus they're acting like he's some criminal. They've come with clubs and swords and whatever else in the middle of the night. And, and Jesus is like, why, 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 are you coming? why are you coming at me like I'm a robber, dude? Like, I mean, all you got to do is just come get me. You know? And Jesus is making this, he's making this statement about what's going on here that has to do with something that they have yet to be able to shake. They've constantly struggled with the understanding that Jesus as the Messiah hasn't come to be the Messiah king type king that they were looking for that's going to be a political king who's going to raise up armies against other people. 
Jesus is like, you know I'm not that guy. They are still looking for the wrong kind of kingdom. And not just, and not just Judas. Not just Judas. I mean, I mean, if you look at it, Judas even, I mean, it even says like the, you know, some of the, some of like the, the leading that Judas gave this group of people as they're coming to get Jesus, you know? He says, uh, now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man, seize him and lead him away under guard. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And so, you know, this whole idea is we're trying to do this safely so that like Jesus doesn't like get wicked on us and throw his armies at us or whatever. What, what armies? Jesus' disciples? A bunch of fishermen? I mean, granted, they're some rough dudes. But they're still stuck. They're still stuck in this thought process that Jesus is after being the king of, of people to rule over them, that he might be this earthly king that they were looking for all along that was going to overtake the the uh, corrupt government and all this and set everything right. And Jesus is saying, that's not me. Why are you coming at me like I'm a robber? Why, why'd, you bring, why'd you bring the swords and the clubs? And the truth is, is Judas isn't the only one. Pete, Peter's right there with him. What happens in a moment? I mean, Jesus has already told the disciples what's going to happen. You think that, you know, because they know that it's going to happen. And Jesus has said, it is written, it's going to happen. It's like, okay, well, this is going to happen. And when it happens, we just got to, we got to be okay with it because, you know, Jesus said it's supposed to happen. No, Peter's like, first of course, he's probably still a little jacked up because Jesus told him that he's going to deny him. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do that. You better believe I'm going to be there. I'm, I'm going I'm to have a sword with me. I'm going to be ready. I'm going to be cutting people's ears off. You wait and watch, Jesus. And in the moment, what's Peter do? Peter jumps up, cuts the dude's ear off, and Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Peter, 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 Peter. Chill, dude. Chill. And then Jesus, in the moment, heals this guy's ear. And you're like, okay, big deal. It's Jesus. That's what he does. Yeah. But he's healing the guy that's about to take him away to death. Do, do we get that? Do we, do we even see that? Like we throw that on the wall? Like where's the painting of that in the Sistine Chapel? Like that's us. That's us. That like our life is that. We're constantly like turning our backs on God and just doing our own thing or whatever. And yet he is still going to the cross for us. And we're the ones that put him there. He says in verse 49, day after day I was with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And here it goes in verse 50. And this is the scriptures beginning to be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And they all left him and fled. And at this moment, and at this moment, Jesus begins his alone time where he has to go through all of this alone and do all of this alone and suffer alone to be hung alone. 
narrow gate. The narrow gate is the easy way that leads, is that there is an easy way that leads to destruction is something that Jesus had just taught not that long before in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, for us, the narrow gate is the one that we want. And that's not the easy one. Because the easy one is wide and leads to destruction. And the truth is, is in moments like this, it's very defining of kind of who we are. It's easy to say one thing, you know, oh yeah, if I, you know, if somebody... If somebody came at me, did this, if I was one of Jesus' disciples or whatever, and I would have done that, you know, it's, it's so, easy to, so easy to say those things. The truth is, is we don't really know what we would do in those moments. Jesus was trying to help them to see, even here in the last moment before he goes to his death, you have put your eggs in the wrong basket you are still looking for a different kind of kingdom than the one that I have come to give you. Jesus came to usher in the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is so very backwards from the kingdom of this world. Definitely not the kingdom of this world which is about power and money and notoriety and the king, kingdom that Jesus came to usher in is a one about giving, giving of himself. Humility. Loving one another. Caring for others. Got this passage that I, I want to share. I, I don't think that they're going to have it up there. They might have it up there. I, was, I think I'm supposed to read through it right now. I wasn't going to. I'm going to read through it. Matthew 25, 31. It says this. It says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then they will sit on His glorious throne before Him, will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on His left. Then the King will say to those on on his right come you are come you who are blessed by my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world for i was hungry and you gave me food i was thirsty and you gave me drink i was a stranger and you welcomed me and i was naked and you clothed me i was sick and you visited me i was in prison and you came to me then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did, you see, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? And when did, when did we see you a stranger and welcome you? Or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. That's a different kind of kingdom. That's a completely different kind of kingdom. That's not crawl over one another 
take advantage of bad situations, bad moments, people's lives. You know, this is a completely different kingdom. And it is so hard to not get caught up in the kingdom that is here and still do what we're called to do and be, you know, so, you know, I'm, you know, you've been around here long enough. I'm, I think you know at this point. You know, I, we we are not we're not called to Christian bubbles, okay? We're we're called to be people in the world, not of the world, but in the world, right? That the the world might know who Christ is, and that's a struggle. That's a struggle for all of us to figure out what that balance is and what that looks like. Judas thought that this moment was going to bring a problem. Go in the dark of night. Go with the swords. Go with the clubs. Judas still was thinking Jesus was a part of this, was wanting to usher in this kingdom that was going to be some empire that was going to overthrow and was going to have all this power. In fact, in Luke 22, this is... Same account, but just some extra, okay? Because we know Mark's not good on extra sometimes. Luke 22, verse 53, we have in the latter part of that verse there, Jesus says to them in this moment, he looks at Judas, he looks at him, he says, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. This is your hour and the power of darkness. He's, and, and Jesus is saying, look, uh, you know, no doubt, you've come to do this, and it's, and it's fulfilling the thing, but, but what you do here is evil. And you've come in the night, you've come in the dark, and you're hiding from the truth. You're not believing the truth, not understanding the truth. Jesus calls it for what it is. There's one couple last little verses here I want to read with you. Going back to Mark 14. And in Mark 14, verse 51, it says, And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. This is kind of out of nowhere. It kind of feels like this, this, this little snippet. Uh, this is not in the other Gospels. I think that's interesting. I think that it's interesting it's not in the other Gospels, especially when you know that Mark is kind of a quick and to the point kind of guy. Like, why did he throw this in there? Uh, and there's actually a, a ton of people, um, and, and, and I, think there's, I think there's a lot of validity to this, although there is no proof of it. There's, there's a great thought that this is Mark actually in the moment talking about himself. So, you know, we already have Peter not talking about himself as being the one, if this is a gospel according to Peter. We, all, we you know, already possibly have this, you know, uh, account of Peter not saying that I'm the one who lopped off this dude's ear. Honestly, you know, he's probably a little embarrassed about it in the aftermath of like trying to beginning to understand like the kingdom of God and that Jesus had come to do this and that he just needed to like chill and let Jesus do his thing. But then you've got Mark in this situation, possibly being the young man, I'll read it again, and a young man followed him 
and this is talking about like followed them as they were leaving with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him and left the linen cloth, and he ran away naked. So here's, here's a few things that we know about this. Um, the naked thing to us seems kind of odd, but the truth is, is that you know, they wrapped themselves up, and that was them clothed. And uh, you know, in this particular situation, it's thought that it may have been a you know kind of a quick like I'm going to throw this on you know to kind of go because there's like urgency in the moment kind of thing happening. And so this could possibly be a fast to follow and not ready for what's about to take place kind of situation. Uh, here's another little nugget of joy: the linen thing actually probably shows some sort of wealth that like, you know, it, it wasn't, everybody didn't have linen as their, you know, as their thing that they wore under their tunic and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and the truth is, is that we know that Mark actually came from what we believe to be a wealthy family. So that, that kind of supports that. Uh, but, but here's, here's the real importance, I think, of what's going on here. And I think the reason why Mark is really writing this, although it's fun to like, you know, try to figure out and play detective, is this Mark or not? And at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter if it was Mark or not. But I think the thing that really matters and why Mark included it was that he wanted us to see something, which is something that we see all the way back to Genesis. And whenever you see nakedness in Scripture, what goes along with it every single time is usually shame. And so in this moment, as... He, whoever this was, followed along. They followed along until they got grabbed as being recognized as a follower of Jesus. And in the moment, they grabbed them, really the cloth that he was wrapped in, and by escaping, and they still had the cloth, escaping naked and ran away, he ran away but not without shame. Not without shame. And I think sometimes shame drives people to not do or to do things, to make decisions about things that they shouldn't do. You know what I'm saying? We, we've, all, we've all been ashamed about something in life. And, and i got, I got to tell you, man, I've, I've had conversations with people at times, and they say, you know, I, you know, I, I want to come, come back to church, but I'll just be honest with you, I'm, you know, I'm ashamed of you know, this, whatever happened in my life or whatever. And I'm like, I'm like look, <laughs> I think you're reading too much into it. Well, here's, here's something I tell a lot of people in counseling. When, when, when we start down a path of like, you know, that type of thought process of like, you know, I'm, I'm afraid of what people think about me or whatever, is I generally look at them and go, you do understand that everybody else still has like their own things like in their own lives that they're also worried about and they're not thinking about your stuff all day long like you think they are. I think that's important for people to hear and understand. I'm telling you that so that maybe you can tell it to somebody that needs to hear it in your life or maybe you need to hear it today and that's fine too. But shame is one of those things that drives us to make poor decisions most of our life, if, if, we're, if, we're, if we're making decisions based off of shame and fear 
and, and off those types of things in life, man, we're, we're, we are way missing the mark. Way missing the mark. No pun intended. And I think for us today, I think it's important for us to be willing to ask the question, you know, first of all, do I know Jesus? Or is it possible that I'm a Judas? And before you go, oh, no, I'm never, I'm ne- I'll never be a Judas. You know, I, just follow this track of thought with me for one second. You know, I think that it's easy for us to hang our hats on, on religious things and to miss the relationship with the Redeemer. And we don't want to end up there. And we, we, we can't end up there. Because ending up there is empty. And it's worthless. And, and, you know, you may say, well, you know, God will still use me to do great things. Yeah, yeah, he could. He can, yeah, and he can. He can do that if he wants to do that. But at the end of the day, the truth is this. At some point in our life, the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and helps us to see that we are lost and that we need a Savior. And that Jesus is that one. He is the only one. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That's His words. And He's making it clear to us for us to understand that we have this, you know, this moment at some point along the way as Scripture teaches us where the Holy Spirit speaks and we can respond and in that moment we can respond that God could save us. And it's the greatest possible thing that could ever happen. It's the greatest possible thing that could ever happen in our lives. Don't don't, don't be a Judas. When I say that, I'm not talking about the betrayer. I'm talking about the one who didn't know Jesus, but spent all this time with him. You know? Big difference. The kiss, known as the kiss of death. That term comes from this passage. The kiss of death. Judas came pretending to be something he was not. This affectionate, brotherly kiss. Oh, Jesus, Rabbi, Rabbi, you are just amazing and all of this. And the truth is, Jesus says, not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. It's a whole different kingdom with a whole different mindset. Tim Keller says this. He says, on the cross, Jesus is getting what we deserve so we can get what He deserves. I'll say that again. On the cross, Jesus is getting what we deserve so we can get what He deserves. Wow. Wow. Jesus is truly willing to take our place and give us His. And and of course, we're not worthy of that. But man, are we grateful. Man, are we grateful. What's in a name? What's in a name? What's in saying somebody's name twice? Well, according to studying through Scripture... Saying someone's name twice is like this ultimate act of affection. Like, 
It's so good to see you, Jesus, Jesus. Rabbi, Rabbi, so good to see you. Love, affection. I long for the day to get to hear Jesus say my name. And I hope for you that you too one day get to hear him say yours. Let's pray together. God, we, we just are kind of overwhelmed right now, Lord, with how good you are to us. God, I pray that we wouldn't fall into a hypocrisy, Lord, that is about this world and about the kingdoms here. God, I pray, Lord, that we would pursue you. But God, I pray first and foremost that we know you. God, I pray that there's one person that doesn't know you right now. God, I pray, Lord, that you would move in their heart today. I pray, Lord, that you would save them today. Do in their heart something I can't do. Do in their heart something that they can't do. God, do, do the amazing work of granting them salvation and forgiveness of all sin. Despite me lying today. God, thank you for doing that in my life, despite me lying to myself even at points of like, that I knew you when I did not. God, I pray this morning, Lord, that your love would overcome them that they would see your grace, that they would see your forgiveness, and not because we can earn it, because, Lord, we cannot. God, I pray that because you have done it and you will be glorified in it, God, I pray that you would do the work and be glorified for it. God, use us as your people, Lord, that others would see you in us, others would know you because they know us, God, be glorified in us. May in our lives others see that you are worthy. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.